This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast and the Thinking is Good for You podcast. So we are glad to come together today because I think this is it actually was originally my idea to bring Steve on my podcast, but I think that there's a way that I'm hopeful that this will be something you can use on your podcast too with your audience. And I hope that our audiences come together because yes. we've come together at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We've come together in this room and I think our audiences have a lot in common. Yours is much more philosophical, intellectual, and you know, just this really stout group. So I'm well. hopeful that you know maybe some of the good things about your audience will rub off on mine and me. <laughs> well, I uh, think you're being too generous and too presumptive. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Probably, probably just a little bit. Thankful for this opportunity to come together. This Both of our podcasts are sponsored by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. And so we're thankful for our opportunities we have to serve students who are here. We, In case you don't know, we can be fully online. You can do all of your degrees except for a doctor of ministry, fully online. And one thing that makes us distinct is we don't have what's called asynchronous classes. Our classes are polysynchronous. So we have some students who are here right now taking classes in our facility, but then we have a function where they're online uh, on live Zoom with other students. And then within 48 hours, people will watch a class if they can't be there live with that class and take it in. As opposed to just like watching lectures and never engaging face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom with a professor. Don't you think that's a good way of of going about this uh, type of theological education in our time? Well, I think it's the best way to go about theological education in our time, especially since so many people cannot relocate right? um, because they're working or they're already in ministry or whatever. Um, And the thing that makes it the best is that the students actually have the lifetime Yes. They have the option for real lifetime engagement with their colleagues in the class as well as the instructor. And um, it's the next best thing to being in physical proximity to one another. Right, right. Because we can't actually be in, in conscious proximity to one another and have that dynamic filter into the whole learning process. And that even intersects with what we're going to talk about today, interesting enough. And so I one other thing I want to add to, we're offering something really distinct this fall as we with our undergraduate program. And we're kind of testing this out where instead of just buying classes per credit hour or coming in where you would like uh, you know have a certain fee for so many credit hours, you, we have a subscription model. So for $300, you can sign up and take as many classes as you want in that period. So $300 a month you can sign up. So go to wbs.edu. Also, we have lay programs and initiatives and opportunities for people to audit classes. So that's a lot on Wesley Biblical Seminary. But now I want to talk about something really important with you, Steve. As our philosophical theologian on our staff like it's and our faculty, like there are certain things that we just really depend on you for. And we brought some matters to your attention a few uh, months ago, actually. Actually, and you presented on it, and I thought it'd be worth my audience to have a chance to hear from you as you think about what constitutes a human. Sometimes it's called theological anthropology. What makes up the essence of who we are? And this is often really confused. Like we talk about we're people of body and soul, body, soul, and spirit. Some people suggest we're just people of just matter, we're just bodies. So help us think of what are the kind of classical ways that we think about what constitutes humanity? Well, First of all, let's let's make something very clear to our audiences. Okay, this is not a, a kind of abstruse 
abstract, recondite, ethereal, contemplative, contemplative issue. Right. It really, in the modern world, is about as basic as you can be. When it comes to this question, do human beings have any aspect of our existence that will, that will be able to um, continue in existence after the death of our bodies? Right. This is huge. In, in modern uh, cognitive science, as it's called, which includes consciousness studies in humans, but also artificial intelligence, but in modern consciousness, con cognitive science or brain studies, they have noted that whenever a person is in a particular state of consciousness, even a religious state of contemplating God or, or worshiping or having any sort of thought whatsoever, there is a portion of your brain that quote unquote lights up, mm -hmm. that becomes intensely active during that period of mental conscious activity right so the the question then for the for the materialist for the person who believes that a human being can just be reduced down to all of the material stuff that makes us up we're just cells we're yeah. just moist robots or just exactly. just made up of materials we're Every, all of reality is just material yeah we're atoms molecules cells we're just physical stuff that's all we are for those kind of people the argument then goes, aha, we now know that when the brain is active here, it is causing this idea. Right. It is causing this state of consciousness. So if the brain is causing that state of consciousness or that even that thought to occur to you, if the brain is doing that, when the brain is no longer functional, i.e. at physical death, Right. then you don't have any more consciousness left. So for the Christian believer, the real, the real challenge then is to how do we articulate the Christian doctrine, biblically-based doctrine of the human soul in light of modern-day insistence that there's no such thing as consciousness that could um, transcend bodily death right. and continue on in some sense. Right. So th that's where it's at stake. So something very fundamental to the Christian faith is at stake because— Do if, we have souls? I mean, yeah. that's, that, that's kind of like the, if you're like, well, let's wait, break this down. Really, we're saying, do we have something about us that exists beyond our physical bodies? Like, do we have souls? I mean, it, uh, this is a question that everybody needs to think about at some point. Yeah. I keep going. I interrupted you a little bit. No, no, that's good. To, like, break that down. Yeah, that's good. Um, so the only th way I would change it is instead of saying, do we have souls? Okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> is I would say this. Is there something about us that is spiritual, right? not reducible to a material or a physical function? Is there something about us right, that's right. spiritual? Soul can bring up all kinds yeah. of ideas of what people might have. Like, like it might be like some sort of like almost Casper a movie. The, yeah, Casper the yeah. friendly ghost kind of right, outline right, of right. you. But there, there's something yeah. like spiritual, something beyond the physical world yeah. that's a part of our existence. And so— the re these people who want to reduce us down to 
physical functions that right. we are just basically meat machines. Right. 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 Well, moist robots. Moist robots. Yeah. We um, th- they're they're of course called reductionists. Okay. Because they they take something as wondrous and as complex as human consciousness. Right. Our the fact that everybody is conscious of themselves, right? So reductionists want to deny that that consciousness is anything other than the product of, a, of an activity in your brain. Synapses firing, electrochemical uh, processes at work. That, that's what produces what we think of as our conscious identity. Okay, if, if that's the case then, then the Christian belief that there's li- not only life, af- life after death, but also the possibility of resurrection from the dead as right, right. soul is reunited with body, uh, all of those things go out the window. Right. And therefore, if there's no such thing as something that's me that will exist after my body is dead, if there's no such thing as me essentially somewhere, somehow, yes. then even the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the sins of the world makes no sense. Because if, if when every human being dies, there's no judgment, right? there's no consequence, you die, poof, that's it. So there are a lot of Christian doctrines that are tangled up in this question about whether or not um, something that we could call the soul is real. So we, this is connected then to the even idea that we have, like when we think about to be absent from Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, the various concepts that we have, like kind of like this, the existence. And you can go back to my podcast where I talk about heaven. I have a three-part series on heaven where I kind of lay out some illustrations of this. But to be absent from the bodies, present with the Lord in the intermediate state, like yes. before the resurrection of the body. And we're recording this the day after Easter where we celebrate yes. Jesus' resurrection. And that is ultimately like looking forward to the opportunity of our the the promise of our own resurrected bodies but kind of like the 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 structure of that is of the of the time frame is if our if we die a natural death before jesus return like our souls are with jesus or this spiritual entity whatever it is that is us in eternity then comes back in the after the resurrection of of the dead and comes back with our bodies. Yes. Okay. I'm, I might be getting us off track, but you, you talked about reductionism. Yeah. Which sometimes called what else is that called? Monism. Sometimes what else is it called? Well, that would be a form of monism, and that monism is the belief that there's only one reality totally. Okay. That's all all encompassing, and that's physical material reality or materialism. That's all there yeah. is. Yeah. So then, then the then the second area. Is like where, what you're talking about, the Christian, the, the yeah. orthodox, consensual Christian tradition of existing as body and soul. But, but let's talk about like other ways that we can think about that or other other terms. Like sometimes, okay. sometimes it's called dualism, right? And that's not helpful, too, because everything that connects us to Plato and we think that there might be a conflict between. Yes. Um, but but t- talk to us a little bit about that. Well, let's, let's, let's go back quickly. So we have this new scientific um, insight that our brains are actually doing something specific in every state of our mental consciousness, okay. our mental awareness. Even when you pray, your brain lights up. So the reductionists say, therefore, your thoughts about God are the product of your brain. Right, period. right, right. 
your idea that you're in God's presence. That's just a feeling that your brain's giving you. So in reaction to that, Christian philosophers and Christian theologians um, began to offer different ways to understand the Christian doctrine of the soul um, that could that could be harmonized, if you will, with some of the scientific insights. So the first what we're talking we've been talking about so far is reductionism. Right. So there is this one Christian philosophical. It's not just for Christians, but Christians. Some Christian philosophers have embraced it. They call it non-reductive okay, physicalism. And in this view, everything about our consciousness is really, it really is produced by our brains. So our minds, which they then equate our minds with our soul. Right. From like, it's like when they look at soul in scripture, they would yeah. say that that's so our they, mind. So they think that's just mental consciousness. Right. And so God made us, as I say in my classes over and over again, God made us biologically spiritual and spiritually biological. Mm-hmm. We're embodied. Right? We're people. not angels and we're not apes. Mm-hmm. Human beings are something in between. And the, the non-reductive physicalists say, okay, within the Christian faith, we can affirm that we are physical creatures through and through. But there's something about the way that the physical processes of our body work that it produces these non-material minds. Mm-hmm. And they say mind equals soul. These mm-hmm. are synonyms. That's very important to keep in mind that for people who talk this way, the mind and the soul are a synonym. Okay. So the soul simply means your capacity for consciousness. And it can be spiritual consciousness. Now, the non-reductive physicalists say, then, the advantage of this is it really emphasizes the importance of the Christian doctrine of the resurrection of the body, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. Because yeah. we are meant to be embodied creatures. And I say, bravo. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible does teach that, and that is what we are essentially. However, for the non-reductive physicalist, since, since our minds equal soul, that's, right, remember, right. Syn- synonyms, since our mind-soul is the product of our bodily process for the non-reductive physicalist. When we die, our conscious state of existence goes out of existence completely. Um, Until the resurrected body. Until the resurrected body. However, and what they say is, God, who knows everything about you, Mm -hmm. keeps this copy of your consciousness. Mm. downloads it and downloads it into the resurrected body interesting from his eternal cloud right (laughs) the problem with that for me is this yeah a copy of me is not me right interesting nothing nothing continues with it there's no continuity right between me and the copy um there was a really interesting movie by arnold schwarzenegger called The Sixth Day. It was mm. about cloning and the downloading of consciousness into cloned bodies. Interesting. And there's I've one character. never even heard of it. There's one character in the movie. She is, she is the wife of this doctor who developed this consciousness downloading technology. 
and she has died several times from the same disease that he's drastic, drastically trying to cure. And this woman that's his wife, she's dying again, and he wants to download her consciousness again. He says, oh, don't worry, I'll bring you back. And she starts crying. She says, don't do it. Mm. She says, I am not wow. the person that you married. Wow. I'm just a copy of her. And I, I, he's right. That's right. That, that secular movie is right. A copy of me, it's even if you. it's an exact copy of me that contains all of my memories, all of my successes, all of my failures, even if it's a copy of me and my relationship with Jesus, if when I die, everything about me ceases and there's just a, a copy left, then that resurrected body, that resurrected body is not me personally. Right. So that's a real theological problem I find with the Christian approach to non-reductive physicalism. I know that's a lot. So, so people have, let me see if I can summarize quickly or correct me if I'm wrong. So reductivism is this idea that we're just like the physical aspects of the world. And then some Christians have come along and I know some of these, some of these, but my professors through the years um, have said, okay, well, there's a Christian way we can think of this, but it's non-reductive physicalism. Yes. And so they're suggesting that there's a way to think through this where we have this Whatever it is that's our essence, when we die, maybe poofs out, but it'll come back in the resurrected body. And the problem with that for you is continuity. It doesn't represent like the, it's not us. There's a copy of us. It's not us. Something needs to continue. Yeah. So that leads us to what the— So there, they, there's no continuity of existence between me pre-death, me post-death. Right. And there's no absent from the body present with the Lord. Yes. Unless they take that exegetically to mean— well, since we'll have no experience of time, when we're soon as we die, and then yeah, the next yeah. the next thing we know is we're resurrected with the Lord. So, no continuity is the problem. So, there's another a philosophical theory that some Christian philosophers, whom I admire greatly, um, William Hasker yeah. is one of them. They've developed this philosophical framework they call it emergent dualism mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they take the same starting point as the non-reductive physicalists and they say there's something about us the way that god has constituted our physical bodies that our physical bodies produce out of themselves a field an energy like i hate to sound new agey but it's kind of like an energy field of consciousness okay and as an energy field of consciousness, it takes on a life of its own. It's still been produced by the body so that when the body dies, this energy field of consciousness will continue to exist even though it uh, emerged, emergent, right, emerged right. out of the bodily functions, especially the brain chemistry functions, of the human uh, physical makeup. Hmm. Therefore, and the analogy that they use is the analogy of a black hole. In astrophysics, a black hole is conceived of, or at least thought to be, a star of some kind that has collapsed in upon itself, so much so that the matter of the star no longer exists. Hmm. But there's still this huge gravitational field still exists. 
which was the product originally of the, of the mass of the star. And so in, they're saying the field of consciousness could be analogous to this idea of the black hole gravitational field that continues to exist even when the star that produced the gravitational field has collapsed in upon itself and is no more. So they have adopted that version of the soul as something that emerges out of the body. There are two things I find wrong with that. Okay. First of all, just like the non-reductive physicalists, they equate mind and soul synonymously. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. soul is nothing but our human spiritual consciousness. So that idea of equating mind and soul is, is a move that we should not make, mm. you know, because there's something more to the soul, in my view. More to the story. Yeah, more to the story, yes. And as you think about the more to the story, remember, thinking is good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's two, there's two issues. Number one, um, to equate mind and soul is, is, in a sense, reductive about what the dynamics of the soul are. The second thing relates to the equation of mind and soul. For the emergent dualist, they give no explanation of what it could possibly be that would so organize the human body and so enable it to function physically as it does so that it would be able to produce this field of consciousness. Gotcha. Right? So they're not able to explain how those two things come together. Yeah, so yeah. you look at material stuff. There's nothing about all of matter that we know that would say, oh, matter can self-organize in order to produce this kind of effect. Hint, right? Hence, it's kind of like the emergent dualism. It, like, you're saying like there's nothing in the material world that says something should emerge from exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So when they say, and the, the argument goes, well, the human body becomes complexly organized enough so that this feature emerges. But my question is, how do you account in the first place for the com complexity of organization of the mm. human body. Wh what accounts for that? It can't be just material principles alone because um, people like Aristotle were right. Matter does not self-organize. Yeah, yeah. So you have to move beyond. Yeah. Just, it, it kind of like leans back into materialism. Okay, I know some folks might be saying, oh, Andy, this is going too deep. If you have to go back and listen to it again, that's fine. You can, there's a 30-second button. You can uh, go backwards and listen. But I think, like this again, this is getting to the idea of like what is it about us that continues. Just remember how important all this is as we're working through this. Okay, keep going. Okay, the other thing, and, and with emergent dualism, if it functions in the way that it just describes, how is it that we are immediately the image of God? Hmm. If there's not something, quote unquote, given to us that is always being added. Yeah. yeah. So so that that's another theological issue for me. Yeah, sure. So now, in contrast to that, you mentioned this already. Um, and there are multiple, um, multiple Christian philosophers who embrace this idea. Um, Richard Swinburne mm -hmm. is among the most well-known of them. 
they they embrace what they call substance substance dualism. dualism. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, with substance dualism, what they do is they equate the mind or our consciousness with the term soul. Right. And that's all that the term soul means, our mind or our consciousness, okay? Which includes our spiritual consciousness, right? right. Everything. But in substance dualism, what you have is a body that operates on the principles of the material world, right? Right. And then you have this soul, which is somehow associated with your body, right? Right, yeah. It's, a it's associated with it. It's almost like you have um, a small version. I, I call it Casper the Friendly Ghostism. Okay. You have Casper the... Uh, you may be too young to remember that cartoon. Actually, I do remember it. But Casper the yeah. Friendly Ghost, you know, is like this, this outlined ghostly figure. So the idea is that somehow we have this soul in us that's kind of driving our bodies. Right. But we are not really our bodies. We are really our souls. But for the Christian, the, the relationship, the, this connection between the soul and body is essential, but ultimately our body is quite secondary. Our physical existence is quite secondary to what we really are. Now, people who are listening today will say, well, yeah, of course, that's what I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Hold no, on. the Bible doesn't actually teach it in those terms. This idea of substance dualism has been around for a while. It started with Plato, but in the 17th century, in the 1600s, Rene Descartes, who was a Catholic philosopher, he brought it to bear uh, tremendously, uh, and he was the one who actually reintroduced this thought rigorously into contemporary Christian theology, that we are basically, essentially, our souls. Right. I think, therefore, I am. Yeah, we are, we are our souls. That's mm. what we are. My identity is just my soul, mm. and my body is just the place where my soul is located while I'm on this, this earth. Now, the other thing about substance dualism is it feeds too quickly into a false understanding of salvation so that we think, oh, Jesus came to save my soul. So when I die, the real me leaves the body and goes to be forever with Jesus in some sort of new realm of existence we right, call heaven. Right. Now, that's not to deny that when we die, we go to be with Jesus. Right, right. But if we take the Bible seriously, just as you've already uh, alluded to, the doctrine of the physical resurrection of our bodies in the recreated new heaven and new earth in which we are once again fully integrated. Body and soul. Body, soul, everything that makes us what we are. All of that is what's redeemed. And they're also in substance dualism. Well, I think there, in substance dualism, there's always this big question. Okay, well, if the mind is an immaterial substance and your body is a material substance, how does your mind, your soul, how does it cause your body to move? Mm. Like, how does my non-material me 
cause my material arm to go, hey, I want to make a point. Right. How right. does that? So there are all these these big questions. Now, I would think this idea of substance dualism also is probably what I, maybe I heard a lot. I'm not saying like uh, the people who taught these type of things to me were heretics, but it was just this idea that when you die, you just go to be with Jesus. And there wasn't an emphasis or really any teaching on the resurrected body, the, res yeah. the general resurrection at the end of the world, <laughs> as it says in my denomination. Like in my denomination, we say we believe in the immortality of soul, the resurrection, resurrection of the body, general judgment at the end of the world. Well, it's almost as if the resurrection of the body wasn't mentioned there. Yes. I mean, it wasn't really talked about because it's like you just kind of exist in this ethereal, non-physical reality, but it misses the real physical nature yes. of like this body, this some form of this hand, this, like as N.T. Wright talks about, like a kind of a trans-physicality yes. of the new heavens and new earth. Okay, I'm, I'm maybe getting us off track a little bit, but but I just highlight, this is why this is pastoral. Like every yes. pastor needs to think about this because you're going to preach funerals, right? Exactly. You're going to deal with people who are like, where am I where am my family member now? Yeah. And the answer to that question is if they know the Lord, they are with the Lord. Amen. Whatever that means, that's enough. That we, should yeah, be enough we don't, for We don't us. know much more than that. Yeah. We know that we're with Jesus. And if we trust Jesus for salvation now, we can trust Jesus for the not knowing. Mm, amen. If Jesus is good now, Jesus is good in the intermediate state. Amen. Um, the other thing that substance dualism lends itself to is a, is a bad form of Christian spirituality. Hmm. Because if I am really my inner soul, my, yeah. my mind, my mental consciousness, my intentions, that is the real me, and I'm not really my body. Right. Then it doesn't need to do this, but it often has fed a very bad form of Christian discipleship and spirituality in which people can think, well, wait a second, in my heart, mm, mm -hmm. I'm right with Jesus. Right. And so whenever I do these things with my body, in my heart, I'm still right, right. with People Jesus. People separate that, right? Yeah. And, you know, the thing about it is Paul tells us to do away with the flesh. He doesn't mean do away with the body. He means to bring your bodily desires under the control of the presence of God within all of your existence. Yes. So that... Good works lived outwardly um, in New Testament terms are not something additional to faith because we are bodily spiritual and spiritually bodily, biologically spiritual, spiritually biological, mm -hmm. because that's the way God made us. Obedience with my body is not something additional to being saved or having faith. Obedience with my body and doing good works in my body is what faith looks like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, the, it's the manifestation of faith in a biologically spiritual, spiritually biological person. So substance dualism, while it has a certain appeal to us right. because it doesn't have this problem of saying, okay, well, how does, how does my soul continue to exist, right? It's not as complex as emergent dualism. Right. It has its own problems, but substance dualism sort of has this immediate kind of appeal to Christians. Interesting. I, one way that I think this kind of comes up in, in my denomination has been when people just say, save souls, just yes. save. Now, I have like a kind of theological uh, charity when I hear that type of statement. Like I, I recognize the good of what's being said there, that we want to acknowledge the 
eternal nature of somebody's existence. And so therefore we want to emphasize those things that are eternal, but often it can lead to some of the challenges that we've already talked about. Like we, we forget about the reality of the physical world and it can neglect. Yes. So, so do you say go save souls? No. (laughs) Should we not say that? Well, when we use the word soul, yeah, the word soul is one of those wiggly words. Right, right. Right. It can be, it can have this sort of, um, this sort of morphing meaning. So in one sense, while I am not a substance dualist, I don't believe I am simply my soul. Right. Sort of hanging around in the location of my body. Neither am I an emergent dualist. And I'm certainly not a non-reductive physicalist. But I would say that we could, u- we could use, loosely speaking, to say, you know what, he or she, that's a, he's a good soul. Right, right. It's, right. A, it's, a, it's a way of talking about something. It's a way of talking, yeah, yeah. but it's not, it's not theologically precise. Right. So I, I, w- I always talk about not the salvation of souls. I talk about the salvation of persons. Right, right. Because Jesus didn't die to save this non-material part of me. <laughs> Jesus yeah, right, died yeah. to save everything that I am. Right. And everything that I am body and soul that is my personhood right yes so i talk about we need to be saving persons Mm. for jesus christ through jesus christ by the grace of god in jesus christ we need to be telling them about this whole salvation for their whole person amen so that's the way i try to get our students here to begin to think about these kind of concepts. That's great. I thanks for the little uh, the excursus there. So we haven't got to what you the, the term that you find the most helpful yet. I know you might want to go through a few others, but we might be. I want to get to the the last uh, application point too. So what is the what's the kind of term that you find to be most helpful and accurate in thinking about the human constitution? Well, actually, I have listed what I think are the three dominant yes. approaches that I find inadequate. And a part of the reason I find them inadequate is, number one, substance dualism doesn't really speak to the unity right. issue, right? How am I one thing? Emergent dualism has the problem with it while it affirms the continuation of the existence, uh, this mind, this whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't give us no account for how in the world this spiritual entity could emerge out of this physical stuff. Right, right. Non-reductive physicalism fails to account for both. How does it, how do these conscious states emerge? And what in the world would there mean that a copy of me is resurrected? So when I was, when I was um, actually started at Wake Forest University, after I left, I'd been in ministry for about five years and I'd graduated from Asbury and got a great education there at the seminary and the college. But when I went to Wake Forest University, I began to read more broadly in philosophy, theology, and various Christian traditions. And I came across the writings, the teachings, and the theological and philosophical insights of Thomas Aquinas. Mm. And in Thomas Aquinas, I found a concept of soul in relationship to body that was very helpful. And it's called, here's a big word, hylomorphism, H-Y-L-O-M-O-R-P-H-I-S-M. 
And you win and, the spelling bee. Ding, 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 ding. And, Hylomorphism. Use it in a sentence. It yeah. simply says this. The soul is not simply a synonym for my mind or my consciousness. Because there is something non-material mm -hmm. that is also spiritual and is the source of life in my material existence. We call that the soul, which is the form that is the informing, organizing, empowering, function-giving, purpose-giving, life-giving presence to the material stuff that becomes my body, mm. right? So that's the form of the body. Right. But the term form, soul, means all of those things. Now— and This is kind of connected to the ideas of Aristotle? Yes. Form, function? Form and matter. Form okay. and matter. Okay. And, and function— is function is an expression of form, right? So you're right. So form and function are, 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 are linked to one another. So the soul then is this gift from God, which is woven into our very physical existence. Yes. It's not my mind. It's not my consciousness. It's not even my ability to think. But the soul produces everything about my body that makes my body capable of hosting or, or being related to consciousness, co being related to a mind that will exist, right? right? So when, I'm, when I am, when I am uh, born, I am a fusion of this spiritual dynamic of the soul, which makes me able to be what I am. Now, I find this far more consistent with the, with the large scope of Christian, uh, of Christian thought. That, that, first of all, you can even harmonize it with um, something like um, Genesis chapter 2. Sure. Right? God breathes into this man that he had formed, but he breathes into this man his own spiritual life, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's in that breathing that Adam becomes nefesh, right. a living being, not a living soul. Nefesh means a living being. This dirt doll mm. becomes a spiritual entity bearing the image of God. Right. Now, um, so I find hylomorphism and the hylomorphic view of the soul much more amenable to Christian teaching overall than any of these other three options because there's something at the very beginning that comes from God. It comes to us through our parents, mm -hmm. but it comes from God to shape my body and my physical existence, but also enable my mental consciousness, my rational thinking, and my spiritual uh, ability to relate to God. All of that comes from the beginning. It doesn't emerge later, and it's not something distinct from my body, but it's something that enables my body to be the kind of body that it needs to be for me to be biologically spiritual and, and spiritually, spiritually bi biological. Yes, yes, Neither yes, an angel, as in like substance dualism, yeah. but not an ape, sort of like non-reductive or reductive nice physicalism. Nice soulmate. 
uh, theology here. He made him a little them a little lower yes, than the angels. Exactly. Crowned them with glory and honor. And so the other thing I would say about this is the more that we discover in contemporary science about the function of DNA mm. and genetics and the epigenome, what we now have discovered is that the DNA is a molecule. And it's a molecule that has on it all of these paired amino acids. But that's a physical thing. It's not the source of life. Mm. It is simply a communication mechanism. Because expressed into every cell of your body is information. Mm. Information. Right? And it is... This process, nobody knows what life is. Scientists, molecular chemi chemi chemists, yeah. none of them can explain how life arises, right. much less describe what life is. But the more we discover about the human genome, I have begun to become convinced that this hylomorphic, biblically interpreted view of the soul, that there's something that comes from God that enables us to be the kind of physical, spiritual creatures mm -hmm. that we are from the beginning. This is not only um, more adequate for biblical and Christian theology, but it actually has a resonance with what we are learning now about genetic science. That this information that is communicated, this process of life that is infused through the DNA material molecule is information, life-giving information. It can't be reduced to the DNA right, molecule. Right, it's not anything in itself. And it's yeah. immaterial. Yeah. So I find it, for apologetic purposes, I have engaged any number of atheists, scientists, on this whole thing. And I said, have you never understood the Christian doctrine of hylomorphism and how it fits with what we understand going on in genetic science? And it's kind of like, Oh, awesome. I never thought about that. I'll have to rethink some things. So does that make any yeah, I hope that makes it. sense? I love it. Now, you have a real kind of practical way that this works its way out in some of the challenges our world is experiencing right now, like even the challenges of transsexualism, transgenderism, and transhumanism. I do, we don't have too long because we, it takes a while. Look, folks, it takes a while to unpack some of this stuff, but it is worth it for us to work through to get to this idea of like, what the Bible describes. Now, the Bible doesn't say, uh, you know, after Luke does his introduction, and I'm going to give you an adequate accounting, and I've really looked into this. This is hylomorphism. This is the, the discipline of philosophy, and we can then take that discipline to observe the universe and observe what's going on in the universe and then use that as a way to say, okay, this explains. Yes. It has explanatory scope beyond what we ha what we see in Scripture. But it's not, not incredibly clear clear. At the same time, it probably does the best at taking all of these various things and putting them together. So talk to us about the trans—I I know I, I probably said something I wanted to get you moved. But I want to talk about some of the trans Yeah, concerns. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, let's think about this just a moment. If we are made by this hylomorphic soul from God— Right. From, that means from the very beginning, God gives us something that makes us biologically— have a biological identity yes. that's directly related to the spiritual identity he wants us to have, right? And so what does the book of Genesis say? It says God created male and man, male and female, right? 
in the image of God, he created them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you take like genetic science and you weave into it this Christian theology of hylomorphism, we say, wait a minute, to exist in the world is to exist as one of two kinds of human beings, genetically, but also spiritually. It doesn't mean that men have a higher spirituality or women have a lower or women are more spiritual. Right, it means right. we are just designed physically to be biologically spiritual before God and spiritually biological. What transgenderism has done is it has taken a jump to say, wait a second. Right. The, the idea that we have some sort of, and Christians who embrace it, they take the idea that somehow someone's mental consciousness, someone's mental sense of identity is all their soul hmm. is. And therefore, who am I to say who that person is really on the inside? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, an abused version of substance dualism. Interesting. What I am really on the inside is what I really am. Who I understand myself to be emotionally, subjectively, inwardly, that's who I really am, and my body is not related it's to a, that. It's a separation. It's a rejection exactly. of the unity between body and soul. That's why many people have said modern-day Christians who embrace transgenderism uh, and defend it for other people are basically guilty of a kind of Gnosticism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where spiritually we are what we really are and our bodies are just uh, quite subsequent or irrelevant to our real identity. Interesting. Right? So, so then— um, And when it comes to—oh, go, go ahead. Go, I was going to go on to the next. Do you want to say anything else about transgender? No, no, I don't. That's the, the transhuman. This is this is the interesting thing. And you've been the only person I've heard really talk about this. And I, it, for whatever reason, maybe it's like we're filled up with all the issues of the sexual revolution, and they're they're front and center for sure yes. in the life of the church. United Methodist Church is like as we're talking right now is like it will be splitting here in the next few weeks. Um, other denominations are dealing with that, so it's right that we think through that. But you, you're kind of looking down the pike, and you see transhumanism being another way that this uncritical way of looking at, well, uh, uh, bad theology of the body is a concern. So what's, what's this issue with transhumanism? Well, transhumanism is simply what it says, an endeavor to transcend our now-limited humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's built upon a basically materialist view of um, human existence. And transhumanism says this, since we are just a product of random evolution, right? Or there are some Christians who embrace transhumanism, and they say since we are the process, we are the product of theistic evolution, now that we have become conscious of ourselves, and able to develop technologies, it is perfectly right for us, this is the way Christians argue, perfectly right for us to begin to develop technologies that would enable us to undo death Mm. so that death will be undone, so that the limitations of our human existence will be undone. And essentially what they're saying is, and some of the versions of transhumanism talk about 
uploading your consciousness into some digital construct and right. then downloading it into a new biological entity that is also infused with various sorts of cyber nanotechnology, which enables the digital you to then really continue to exist in a physical body that will no longer be subject to death. Wow. And people say, oh, that's just science fiction. No, this stuff is going on. As a matter of fact, any of you want to get in touch with me, I'll be glad to share with you the timeline of development uh, with the transhumanist movement from the early 20th century until today. And this is the new and great challenge that Christians are going to have to face. Is it kind of the argument against it? Like, hey, well, you know, people have developed medicine through the years. I mean, we might not be here, you know, in a, before there was a sense of, like, even germ theory. Isn't this just the next step in that, Steve? Yeah, people do argue that way. Here's the, here's the limitation, though. First of all, two things. If God made us in his image, biologically spiritual and spiritually biological, and he says, I have a will for your lives in this world the way I made it, and even though this world is fallen and death has entered this world, I am using death to be a discipline over your life mm. so that you will have to come to the end of yourself and look beyond yourself and say, is this all that life means? Mm. So for Christians who say, well, we've, we've created technologies to cure diseases, this is just one other step. I say, wait a second, you are denying some fundamental realities theologically that are deeply biblical. So... That argument death. fails on that death. De it, death is a theological reality yeah. that God has put into the world. That yeah, we death, need it. death put it, God put it there, and he's using it. Right. And it's the last enemy right. who will death be removed will die. by yeah. Christ. Yes. Right? So if you live forever in this body, you don't need that doctrine of the resurrection of the body. Mm. Right? Mm. So Christian transhumanists tend to reduce the idea of resurrection of the body down to a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Now, second, so that's, that's one thing theologically. Second thing, however, is we need to make a strong distinction, a category distinction between technologies that are therapeutic and restorative versus technologies that are intent on transcending okay. and changing our humanity. Gotcha. So penicillin enabled us to fight off infections, right? To be able to live fuller lives in our bodies, right? Right. As we were created. Um, you could say that about other things like even deep implants, uh, cr uh, brain implants, and uh, that give electro, uh, like electric, I hate to use the word shock, but impulses right. to people that help control uh, Parkinson's yeah, yeah. tremors. Okay, that's restorative therapy. It's not transcending Trans. our humanity. Mm -hmm. So when people make that argument, I just say, you've made a category error. Hmm. There's a difference between therapies that are restorative and healing and technologies that are intent on making us into different kinds of beings. Hmm. That's what transhumanism means a new kind of being right. that emerges out of the frail fall the frail weak hum humanity that we now have wow this is so intense and so helpful steve thank you so much and i want to encourage folks to think about next fall fall uh, in case you're watching this 10 years from now on youtube uh, <laughs> and i uh, on tw fall of 2022 
We'll be teaching a class, and Steve's teaching a class. We'll be we'll be offering a class. Steve will be teaching a class on death and dying. Now, this is a philosophical course, and likely dealing with some of these issues, like dealing with the reality of death, how death is important, but also a practical course in dealing like how we preach funeral sermons, how we deal with people and counsel people when they're losing a loved one. So this yes. is like a, anything else you want to say about that class, but people could audit it. Um, we'd encourage you to do it. No, I would just say this, and I'm not bragging about myself at all uh, because I'm an inadequate vessel, but the students that have taken this class across the 22 years that I've taught here at Wesley Biblical, any number of them noted this class as one of the seminal classes that helped them in pastoral ministry, hmm. that helped them no longer be afraid of death, hmm. no longer be afraid of talking about death, no longer be afraid of of facing death and dealing with dying people. Mm. So it does have this real practical benefit to it, even though I try to d dive into some deep waters. Yeah, and, and this would be a class that you could audit. So those of you who already graduated seminary, maybe you, this would be a great one for you to step in and just participate in this class. It, I, there's a lot of other things I'm sure that we've both generated a lot of questions, but thank you so much for coming on and explaining kind of the distinctions in the human constitution and how that's working its way out and some of the issues we're dealing with the sexual revolution. But then secondly, what's it even coming down the pike preparing us to be able to come up with arguments to defend the hope that we have. And the hope that we have is in our resurrected bodies, exactly. right? Like, and so this is a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more tears, no more crying and no more pain. Your full blown no resurrected death. personhood Amen. and your body perfectly transformed to be like Jesus's resurrected body. Mm. I mean, that's our, that's our glorious hope. Yeah. Uh, trans physicality. Exactly. A helpful way. I've Not transhumanism, right. but trans, all these transes transcending the limitations of, of our physical existence, but only as a gift of God's grace. Yeah. Thank you so much for checking out the More to Story podcast and the Thinking is Good for You podcast. We're really glad to have you here. Would you subscribe or share this with somebody? That would help us spread the news. And I just want to encourage folks, if you can go to andymillerthird.com, if you sign up for my email list, I will send you a free 45-minute teaching and PDF document. That's five, five steps to deeper teaching. Oh, man, I'm not saying it very well. Five steps to deeper teaching and preaching. I think you'll really enjoy that. So check that out, andymillerthird.com. God bless you.